0: Good morning and happy Sabbath. Good uh, I must be honest with you, about two weeks ago, I didn't know how we would be here today. Uh, when I set up with uh, your elder Ron here about coming, I didn't know that uh, I would leave the country and come back yesterday evening. And so uh, my family and I, we were in Israel till last night. We got in about 7 p.m., and uh, so we're still jet-lagged and tired, but I believe the Lord has a good word. Amen. Uh, before we left on the trip, though, I had a message prepared, knowing that I'd be too tired to think of one. And then during the uh, visit in Israel, the Lord uh, impressed upon me a few things, and I took notes there. So I scratched the message that I was thinking of preaching, and we'll bring to you just some thoughts that the Lord has shared with me personally in Israel Amen. and I hope you don't mind. Uh, it's uh, the third time that I had the privilege to be in Israel. Uh, first time went with a, uh, a a few pastors and it was more of a historical, you know, you, the history of Israel and you did see some Bible parts and then a week later I had to go with a Palestinian group. So Got to see a little bit of, of the Palestinian side of Israel, more like Bethlehem and all of that. But this trip was more of a biblical. It wasn't so much the history of Israel or Palestine. It was more about Jesus and the Word of God. Amen. And that blessed my heart. And And there's a quote that came to my mind that I'd like to share with you before we pray together. And that quote is taken from a great classic Called the book Education. Have you heard of that book? It's one of my favorite books. It's written by the author Ellen G. White. And, and, and listen to these words. It's, it's page 262. Those who think of the result of hastening or hindering the gospel think of it in relation to themselves and to the world. And often when we think of church, the Bible, And anything to do with religion, we often think of it in how it relates to us personally or to the world. We think of our salvation. We want to be in heaven, don't we? We wouldn't be in church today if if that wouldn't be the case. Then we want to see people out there also know Jesus, don't we? And nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with thinking about heaven in relation to us. And the world. But notice she continues to say this. Few. Now English is not my first language. So when you think of the word few. Do you think of a whole lot of people? Or less? Right? Few think of its relation to whom? God. Few think of its relation to God. Few give thought to the suffering that sin has caused our Creator. And here it is. All heaven suffered in Christ's agony, but that suffering did not begin or end with His manifestation in humanity. The cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that from its very inception, sin has brought to the heart of God. When I was in Israel, it helped me to think more of the heart of God. Not about my salvation, not about my part, not about Israel, not about the world, but more about the heart of God. And I pray that this morning, as we delve into the scriptures, we're going to think more about the heart of God. Are you okay with that? Amen. And I hope that at least here in Cleveland, if the word is few, may it be a hundred percent at the Brooklyn Church this morning who think of the heart of God. Are you okay with that? Amen. So we're going to go into the scriptures and we're going to try to understand not how it relates to you and me. But what about the heart of God? And I pray that as we're done studying the word of God, we get a, gl- a glimpse into his heart. And that it transforms us to think not of ourselves, but to think more of him. Amen? Amen. Would you mind if we just pause for a moment of prayer? And just as you're seated, bow your heads with me. And I will kneel. And let's ask for the Holy Spirit to speak today. Gracious Father, again, it's a privilege for us to come before you this morning. Why it's even a miracle that some of us are here today. You've given us traveling mercies. You've blessed us. You you rested our bodies. And now you've woken us up this morning to worship you. And maybe we've come to this place thinking of ourselves. Of our challenges. Of the struggles. The suffering. Things that are on our plate. And now this morning you're inviting us for a few moments to think of your heart. And to think not only of what suffering sin has brought to your heart at the cross, but from its very inception, how much sin hurts you. Lord, as we open your word, pour out your spirit, please. And through your Spirit, speak to our hearts. I pray that we may understand you more fully. And I pray that as Jesus is lifted up, may we be drawn to him. And may we be transformed by your Spirit this morning. And thank you, Father, for your Word. And thank you that through your Word, you reveal your heart with us. That you're vulnerable. That you're open. That you take the risk of love. And thank you for loving us. And Jesus, was precious that one is to with you. Amen. To love is to risk. Would you agree with that? Yes. When you open your heart to someone, and, and, and for most of us, we have to, take the time back for decades to think of the time we opened our hearts up to someone, knowing that it's a risk. That when you open your heart up, they can choose to respond with love, and they can choose to respond with rejection. Isn't that true? And when God created individuals in the universe, not only just this world, but also throughout the universe, creating angels, God took a risk. Did he not? A risk that when there is love, that love could be rejected. Often, as a person that works with young people, young people ask the question, if God knew that sin would come into the universe, why did he create beings that would reject him? Isn't that a question you often are asked? Why did God create Lucifer if he knew Lucifer would reject him? Why would God create Adam and Eve, knowing if they would reject him. It's because love loves to create and have relationships. And relationships take risk. Because a God who is love could not consider it love to be alone in the universe. That's the case with husband and wives, right? When they come to the point in their marriage, when they say, love demands we have children. And reasoning would say, well, if we have children, they might reject us one day. You know, they may turn into atheists and say, parents don't exist. And yet they do bring children into the world. Why? Because of love. And so God, out of love, creates. He creates angels. He creates humans. And we find that the first pair that he created chose to reject him. Isn't that right? And then God chooses a nation. You hear that in the first five books of Moses, where he He chooses Israel. And Israel chooses to do what? Reject him. In fact, there are a few individuals in Scripture that I want us to look at, and through these individuals, not look so much at their rejection of God, but try to imagine what was God going through when they chose to reject. And so if you have your Bibles with me, let's first go to 1 Kings. 1 Kings. We're going to pick up with the life of Solomon. You know, we could have started in other places in scripture, but we're going to start with Solomon. And one of the places, if you ever get to go to Jerusalem, you could view the small city that David lived in in Jerusalem, and the addition that Solomon made to the city. And you'll find that Solomon's wisdom was great. And Solomon started off with great genes from a father who responded to the love of God. Now, David had his mistakes, did he not? But he always faithfully returned to God. Now, we pick up the story here in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3. Are you there? Say amen. Amen. All right, at least some of you are there. Good. Now, notice verse 3. And Solomon loved the Lord. Amen? Amen? How do you think the heart of God felt? He was happy about that, was he not? But notice, and Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. What does that mean? It means that he loved the Lord 90% of the time. But 10% of the time, his heart was also somewhere else. It means that part of him held back. How do you think God felt about that? Imagine, you profess your love to your spouse, and and you say, honey, I love you with all my heart, but I'm not going to come home every night. Who would accept that? And isn't that what Solomon was telling the Lord? I love you with all my heart, but there's a little part of me that holds back. And yet God, God, in his steadfast love, works with Solomon where he's at. Because he appears to him in a dream and says, Solomon, I'm here to love you. Ask for anything and I'll give it to you. Just and Isn't that the heart of a God who is willing to just bless us and bless us and bless us? In spite of the fact that Solomon is still holding back a little bit. God still wants to bless him. And so Solomon is wise in asking for wisdom. And God grants him that. And we read part of his wisdom, so on. And for the sake of time, we'll skip some of that. But go with me to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. And notice we begin 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3, that, God, uh, that Solomon loved the Lord, right? Now, notice what happens in verse 11. But King Solomon loved many foreign women. What happened to the story, to the narrative? You go from Solomon loving the Lord and holding back just a little bit. And a few chapters later, you go to Solomon now, not loving the Lord, but loving many foreign women. You see, that little part that you hold back from God could change your future. One little sin that I pet and I hold on to and I hug and I cherish could turn my whole heart away from God. And God knows that. He looks at my life and I profess my love to him and he sees I'm holding something back and he knows that one little thing could destroy my relationship with him. It did that to Solomon, did it not? And so notice what happened. It, this whole idea and Solomon loved many foreign women went to this, verse four. For it was, so when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as what was the heart of his father David. And so notice, Solomon went after Asherah, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem. That 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 is the Mount of Olives. As you go up the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. Today, if you'd ever visit Jerusalem, they would take you up there and you could look down on Jerusalem and see the Dome of the Rock. And as you walk from the... Top of Mount Olives down. You're walking straight down to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there is the Kidron Valley. And right there in the Kidron Valley. Between Mount Zion and the Mount of Olives. Back in Solomon's day. You would have seen the worship of many gods. There on Mount Zion you have the temple of God. Where you would worship. But go down to the Kidron Valley. Come up the other side. And you're worshiping other gods. How does God feel about that? Must it break His heart to know that here's someone that He opened up His heart to and blessed with wisdom beyond any other person in the and riches? And Solomon turns away from Him, and then you'll find of what happened here in verse. Verses 9 and on. So the Lord became angry with Solomon. What type of anger is this? Is it the type of anger that someone who has opened his heart up to someone else and expected love in return and found rejection instead? Right? It's not the type of anger where I'm going to use words and slam things and Throw things. It's the type of anger where it's a deep pain of rejection. And then it says here, Because your heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you. And give it to your servant. What's interesting to me is that often when we think of the north and the south of Israel breaking into, we think of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, who made that foolish decision to be mean to the northern tribes. You remember that? And we think, well, that may be the reason it was torn into. No, it was because of Solomon rejecting the heart of God. One of the places we went to last week was in the Golan Heights. The Golan Heights is the northern part of Israel. It's bordering with Lebanon and Syria. And I found out that up there about Mount Hermon, you have three springs that come together into the Jordan River, flowing into the Sea of Galilee. And then the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea. And right there, as you go up to the Golan Heights, you could see the beautiful hills of Lebanon. And right there... In a state park, you actually get to see something that is tragic, that breaks your heart. See, the story of that is actually here in First Kings chapter 12. See, when Rehoboam decides to disobey the wisdom of the elders, and God rents the kingdom in two, and gives it to a man, Jeroboam, now Jeroboam has a chance to worship God, right? God gave him a gift. And Jeroboam had a chance to take these people to worship the true God. But notice what Jeroboam does in verse 25. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25. Are you there? All right. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelled there. Also, he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Who is he caring about? Himself, right? He's pretty self-centered. Hey, God gave me the gift of leadership. Now it must be all about me. How terrible. And notice what he does in verse 28. Therefore the king asked advice, made two calves of gold and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. It's too inconvenient. Has it become too inconvenient to go to church? It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel, and the other he put where? Up in the Golan Heights, is where the Dan of Tribe used to be. And you walk into the state park, and you go in about a mile or so, and you come to this clearing, which is this golden calf used to be. And they show there where the sacrifices would have been and a whole landing. And as I was standing there and thinking of this, my heart went to the heart of God. How his heart must have broken to know that Jeroboam sets up a golden calf and says, He brought you out of Egypt. And they worship. You know, Rehoboam thought of religion, of how it related to him. He didn't think of how it related to God's heart. And it broke the heart of God to have his people give credit to an idol for what he did. You know, if you ever travel to one of these places that has fancy museums, whether it's in Egypt or, or England or Germany or even the Israeli Museum, one of the things you'll get to see is little idols. You'll get to see authentic idols that they found that were there three, four thousand years ago. And my kids were laughing at some of them because you, you have a stone and you have like little slashes for the eyes and 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 I told my kids, those were gods that were worshipped. And they laughed at me and said, that's impossible. They worshipped and said, yes, yes. And the Old Testament is filled with God telling them, why are you worshipping these things? And and some of, when we think of gods, we think of these huge stones. And, and I tell you what, some of these stones are not bigger than an iPhone. And often we still worship gods today, don't we? We carry them everywhere, we look at them all day, we put them in our pocket, and God still thinks, oh foolish people, you're still worshiping idols when I'm right here, my heart open to receive your love. One place you'll find this pretty clearly is is in the life of Hosea. If you go with your Bibles to Hosea, Hosea is a tremendous story of God being vulnerable with his people. And for the sake of time, we'll just look a little bit in Hosea and we'll go to the New Testament. But I want you to catch something here in Hosea. One of the deepest, painful, most... most painful experiences a heart can go through is that of unfaithfulness from a spouse. Of giving your heart to someone who profess, uh, profess their love to you and over time, while professing to love you, they give their heart to someone else. That has to be, humanly speaking, one of the hardest, most painful experiences. And what God says here in verse 2. You know, verse 1 tells us when Hosea lived and and served. But notice verse 2. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer. The daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And his name was called Jezreel. And then it says in verse 6, and she conceived again and bore a daughter. Now notice it doesn't say it was his daughter. So God tells Hosea, Hosea, I want you to understand how much it hurts me that my people have rejected me the one who has blessed them, the one who has brought them out of Egypt, the one who has led them, the one who has redeemed them. I want you to know how much it hurts. I want you to choose a wife that you know will be unfaithful to you. Can you imagine that? There are times when God asks His prophets to do some weird stuff. Just read it in Ezekiel, where He told him, I want you to eat something, and Ezekiel says, Please, God, No. (laughs) Said, alright, alright, we'll we'll change it to something else. But listen, go marry someone who you know will not be faithful to you. It will break your heart. Now you understand my heart, Hosea. Now you understand my heart. Few think of religion, Christianity, Scripture. In relation to God. We always want to save ourselves. Where I I, I don't want to lose my salvation. I don't want to go through pain. I don't want to go through suffering. But we don't think of how much it hurts God. And then notice what God does in Hosea. Notice chapter 2 verse 14. He says, look, look, my people are not faithful to me. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to divorce her, right? Verse 14, chapter 2. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her to the wilderness and speak comfort to her. What is God doing? You've been unfaithful to me? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you on a date and try to win your heart back. That's God. See, we've been unfaithful to him over and over again, and we've done our own thing, and we've told him like Solomon, I'll give you my heart, and we hold back a little bit. And God, instead of rejecting us when we've rejected him, he turns back around, and he wants to take us on a date. So that we can fall in love with him all over again. And be more faithful to I want, notice, I will allure her, I will woo her, I, I will bless you, I will do everything I can in my power for you to see what true love is like. And I will bring her into the wilderness, what does that mean? I will take you to a place privately where there's no distractions, where there's no hoopla, where, where it's just you and me, we can look into each other's eyes. I want to win your heart back. That's what God is saying, is it not? See, while God's heart is broken, this is God's love. While His heart is broken because we've rejected Him, He doesn't feel sorry for Himself. He forgets about Himself and tries to win us back. That's true love. True love does not think about itself. True love is self-sacrificing, and cares only about the other person. And if that imagery is not enough, God says, let me give you another one, because my people are stubborn. Notice in chapter 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priest. From because you have forgotten the love of your God, I will also forget your children. What 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 is the problem? Is is it intellectual knowledge? Is it the fact that we don't know the order of the twenty eight fundamental beliefs and and we don't know the sixty six books of the Bible in front and back? Is is that the problem God has? Every time the. Bible uses the word knowledge to know it's relational. My people are destroyed because they don't want a relationship with me. It's not that God is wanting to destroy. What God is saying is your source of life is in me and when you remove yourself from me, the result is destruction. And then if you go on here in Hosea, chapter 11. When Israel was a child, verse 1. Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I did what? I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son as they called him. So they went from them. They sacrificed to bells and burned incense to carve images. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms. But they did not know that I healed them. What is God saying? Look at verse 7. See if you can find the heart of God here. Verse 7. My people are bent on backsliding from me. Though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt him. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I set you like Zabom? My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. See, it's another imagery of not a husband and wife, but as a child, you came into the world. I held you in my arms, fed you, took care of you. I was there to teach you how to walk. I bought you your first car and taught you how to drive. And what did you do at the first opportunity? Put it in first gear dumped it in second gear, rolled the back wheels and took off as if I didn't exist. And it pains my heart that you're a child whom I loved turned away from me. That's the heart of God, isn't it? A God who gives and gives and blesses, vulnerably opens himself up for love. And all too often, what we do is we think of ourselves, our sinful pleasures, and we forget about the pain it brings to the heart of God. Think of how much it hurt God when, when John wrote the letters in, in John chapter 1. It was our, our scripture reading, John chapter 1. Think of the heart of God when you, when you hear these words in John 1, verse 10. He was in the world, speaking of Jesus. And the world was made through him. And it was made perfect and beautiful. And the world did not know him. You know, he says, okay, okay. The world did not recognize me. All right, I'm going to try to lure and win the world. But notice verse 11, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Now, one of the places, if you'll go to Jerusalem, and, and we've done the walks, we go through Nazareth, and, and we go to, to Bethlehem, and, and we go through these places that Jesus grew up. And one of the things that you catch over and over again, he came to his own. And his own would not receive him. And one of the things you'll find is, is the devil is so deceiving and, and we fall for it. Because we're so gullible and, and stubborn and blind. Because in the Old Testament, God's people went after other gods. See, see they said, I love you God, but I, I, I have other lovers. And then in the New Testament, they said, well, we don't want to have other lovers. And so, I love you, God, to the point where I hate other people. If you go to Matthew chapter 23. One of the things you'll find in the heart of Jesus his compassion for his people. And if you ever get to walk through Jerusalem and you get the first sight, you see this city that looks pretty old. Nothing special about it. Just old stones. But in the time of Jesus, Herod the Great was a magnificent builder. And when he built, he built things amazing. I mean, if you ever visit... Uh, Caesarea, or the or or his palace Herodium, or or even the temple itself. He he would build these huge stones. Some of these stones are as long as six hundred. I mean I mean six hundred tons, as long as a bus. And the way he brought them there, and 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 he made sure each stone was carved perfectly so that it would just be put in place. And when the sun would shine on it, it glistened in the shard, and it looked so beautiful and shiny that even the disciples looked at it in admiration and said, This city, wow. And Jesus has this to say in Matthew 23, verse thirty-seven: oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Do you see the heart of God? As I'm speaking to you and me today, oh Edward, Edward. How often I wanted to just embrace you for you to know that I love. you. That I want to save you. And you're like a child, a teenager pushing away. Saying, oh dad, oh mom, this is embarrassing. How often I wanted to gather you in. Like a hand gathers her little babies. And you would not. I wonder if that's how God feels about you and me today. And he wants to gather us close to his heart. When you and I think of having a devotional life, you know what that means. Just spending time with Jesus. Opening up his word. Praying. Just communing with him. We often think of that in relation of, it's, it's what we need. It's for us to speak, to, 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 to feed our spiritual soul. But we very rarely think of it in relation to God's heart. Of how He looks forward to it. He wants to hear our voice. He wants to pour into our soul. And when we miss it, we think, oh, I missed my devotional time. And we forget that He missed it too. Right? Because we often think of Christianity in view of our own heart and not the heart of God. And when you come to the Garden of Gethsemane, and you enter the garden, and there you have Jesus Pressed, because you know Gethsemane means the pressing of the olives. And one of the things you notice is that when you press olives, it goes through at least three pressing. It goes through a first one, and then it goes through a second one, and it goes through a third one. And you get all the juice out of it. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane, when we were there, they were gathering the olives. It's the olive season. There Jesus was being pressed and pressed and pressed. He had our sins upon him. And it was at that moment that he cried out to the Father and said, Father, if it's at all possible, please take this cup from me, but not as my will, your will be done. Why did he say that? Because he'd rather be pressed to the utmost than to give us up. He'd rather miss out on eternity if it meant eternity without you and me. Because there in the garden, Jesus was not thinking about himself. He was thinking of us. And so, how do you and I know this morning if we've accepted Jesus Christ? If we think of his heart, if we view our walk with him, not on how we feel, but how he feels. I think you can find it in 1 John, and and we're coming to a close now. 1 John, here it is. 1 John, chapter 4. I want you to catch this. 1 John, chapter 4, verse 7. I, I think this is the way we, we respond to the love of Jesus and tell him that we don't want to reject his heart any longer. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and, what? Knows Knows God. There it is. Notice, he who does not love does not know God, for God is, what? In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His love, His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to do what? Love one another. Yeah, now notice verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a what? Can you love God and not love those around you? For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? See, this is the thing in the Old Testament. They they had other lovers. And in the New Testament, God's people said, no, 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 no. We're going to love God. We're not going to have other lovers. And and they were so intent on loving God with their regulations and rules that they killed the Son of God because they said we're going to love God so much we're going to hate everybody else that doesn't love God the way we love God. And I'm telling you, we're living in a world that is so divisive. If you're a Republican, then you're in that camp and you hate Democrats. If, if you're not in us, then you're against us and, 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 and we see it in the church and we see it and then we use Facebook as a way to throw bombs at people that don't agree with us. Nothing hurts me more than to read an article in like Adventist Review and having Christians post comments there that I feel would hurt the heart of God. How can I say I love God and I hurt you? And I've been in the ministry 20 years to be hurt many times and to ask myself that cannot come from a loving heart. How can we love God and hurt one another? And I think the heart of God breaks when we judge one another, condemn one another, speak evil of one another, gossip of one another. And if there's one way that I can truly love God, it's to love you. Love you even if we disagree. Love you if you don't dress like me, talk like me, eat like me. Because may I remind you that God demonstrated his love towards us when we were still what? And so you may be miles ahead of me in your walk with Jesus. Love me anyway and you may not be where I am in your walk with Jesus, God tells me to love you anyway. Because if we really, truly want to care about the heart of Jesus, then we're going to demonstrate his love towards him by loving each other. And I believe if John the Revelator, after he was exiled to Patmos, and in his old age, went back to his church in Ephesus, and they asked John, John, you're old, you're over 100 years old, maybe you have a couple of words for us. Come forward, share a word of encouragement with the church. I think John the Revelator, after all he's been through, you know what he would say? He would come up in front of the church, and he would just say this, brothers and sisters, Love one another. For God is love. Amen. Amen. What a wonderful message. Amen. Amen.